This morning, I gave you an introduction last week. This morning, I want you to understand just the condition we're all in. You know, it's one thing to give you the benchmark of what a family should be. But we first got to assess the damage of where we are. And what many of us don't realize is because we've been in this kettle too long that the temperature has been turned up so extreme that we're under attack, brothers and sisters. The family and the biblical concept of family is being completely dismantled and it is being completely attacked. And it's invading our own minds and souls because we're immersed in a culture that is hell-bent on destroying the concept of the traditional family. And so we need all the help we can get. This morning I'm going to convince you that you are under attack and that you need the help of God this morning. And so family life was and always will be the foundation of any civilization. There are three enemies against the family. Three enemies. The first one is sin. Obviously, the sin we saw creep into the garden. It began to split the family immediately. God made Eve unto Adam. The two would cleave together so that they would be as one. And immediately as they chose to follow self instead of God. They chose self-indulgence, self-authority instead of God's authority and went after what they should not have. It immediately caused a division between them. God, that woman you gave me made me do it. Immediately, sin and self-centeredness is the biggest issue that we face in family. To get married is to really find out how selfish you are. It just kills you you begin to realize that that person you married has feelings and wants and desires too. I thought they were supposed to just be there for me. And then friction starts and you got trouble. And so self is the, the center of our biggest problem, but God's got a remedy for self. How many of you know that? And by putting himself in us, he can fulfill all of our fleshly desires by a spiritual foundation that will satisfy your soul better than anything that your flesh craves. And so sin is a major issue that we have to be aware of, flesh and self-centeredness. Some of you know that that's the major enemy of your marriage and your family and your children. How many of you know that as soon as they can talk, kids say, mine? They become selfish. They become self-centered, and their opinion is greater than yours until they get out of the house. Then they need advice. The second enemy, you know this, is Satan. He came to destroy the works that God had established. God established family. God had set up family in the garden, and Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy love. He knows that in order to have love, you have free will, and in order to have free will, you have a choice, so he makes sure he bombards you with the alternate choice of what you do not need. And so he is going to perverse, he's going to twist, he's going to do everything he can to collapse your family. He's going to create every argument he can, he's going to make every interruption happen, he's going to try to destroy your finance, destroy your home, destroy your health, and anything else he can do to bust you up. We have a real 
enemy. Now look at if you're going to be biblical, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you need to take the whole counsel of the Word of God. And you need to understand that there are demonic forces that are out to destroy you and that there are familiar spirits and generational spirits out to destroy your family and attacking your family. And if you think that that's just hoo-ha, that's just uh, extra biblical stuff, that's just those uh, Christians that are a little flaky, then you don't know the full counsel of the Word of God. There is an enemy of our soul, and the one thing he wants to do is kill, steal, and destroy. And the most important thing in civilization and in societies and in the kingdom of God is the family. And he's wanting to destroy that. The third enemy of the family are social ideologies. Social ideologies. Those are pretenses that exalt themselves above the knowledge of Christ. Pretensions, ideologies, isms that want to replace kingdom family with a concept of life apart from God. These are ideologies, isms that have come along, and we're going to take a look at them. And many of us uh, are not aware of how pervasive they are fighting against us every day and drowning us in media and being absorbed into our own ideology without our even knowing it. But you have become, we have become the same temperature as our culture. The church has become Laodicean. We've become lukewarm, tepid to the same degree that our culture is. Jesus said, I want you hot or cold. I need you something definitely different than the culture you're in. And these ideologies are pervasive and flooding in the church. And we need help. We need to get back to our foundations, and as Jesus said, our first love. These social ideologies, I know it's ridiculed, but can be summed up as cultural Marxism. It's the application of Marxist theory to culture. Another word for it is political correctness. The idea is this, that in Marxism we, need, we need, do not need God, and so it is an atheistic worldview. Did God say, do you really need a God? This is the tempting. And so through a Marxist ideology, a cultural Marxism, it attacks the culture and the social fabric of the culture. It may not have guns and and bombs and weaponry. Its weaponry is in ideology by which it will change the culture from a Christian to a post-Christian atheistic culture. That's where we are already. And it is going to attack the norms of biblical family values. And so let's take a look. Now, many of the people involved in this have no idea. They're not going to say that they're cultural Marxists. They're not going to say, where, where does this come from? Where's... It's actually in the, uh, the uh, uh, Communist Manifesto that if you can destroy the family, you change into society. That was Lenin's track. He said if you can change or destroy family, you can corrupt a society or change a society. It is being imposed by the culturally elite in our society, judges, lawyers, federal bureaucrats, professors, school teachers, social workers, media and entertainment industries. This is what is flooding our schools, our education, our airwaves, our news, our TV, uh, uh, everything in media and in our laws and everything else. Now, these folks are working in tandem with this concept, but they may not understand they are a part of it. 
All right? There's no, there's no agenda that they signed up for cultural Marxism. It's a belief system that they've absorbed and they are behind. And so many times if you accuse them, they're going like, what are you talking about? I don't belong to any of this kind of stuff. But it is the ideologies, it is the pretenses that have set themselves and exalted themselves over the concepts of Christ that Peter talk, Paul talks about. And what we have to do is take them captive to the knowledge of Jesus, to the word of God. And many of us have been taken captive by these ideologies without us even understanding it. Cultural institutions, academic institutions, and mass media are what is propagating this in the air and through our lives. This is what is political correctness. This is what is policing our airwaves, policing what you say. If you are opposed to this, you're a hater. If you're opposed to this, you're narrow-minded. You're a bigot. You're ignorant. You're old-fashioned. And so we have got to understand what we're up against. Our children are completely absorbed into this. They don't know any different. You look at the kids nowadays, you go, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get them. Why don't they see this? Because they don't have a different point of reference. Do you understand? This sets their point of reference. You do. You came out of a different period. You came out of a different time. You came out of a Christian era. They live in a post-Christian era. They're not going to get it from their institutions of school. They're not going to get it. They're going to get something completely different. They're not going to get it from culture, from what's on the radio, what's on the news, what's in the newspapers. All they get all day long is this ideology. They don't know any different unless you instruct them in it. One hour on a Sunday is not going to do it compared to the constant barrage of what's in their ears, what's in their eyes, what's constantly being spoken to them and what they see. And if the church is not a distinct entity from this, but looks similar to it, but just adds Jesus to it, it's not enough. There has to be a sharp difference kingdom mentality and we have to save our families and bring the word of God back and so let's see the attack that we're under number one you can see it taking place with gender roles the concept that began is this women don't need men to have a family Women don't need men to have a family. It inspired hatred against manhood, fatherhood, and the patriarchal system. Let me share with you some quotes from uh, feminist leaders. Marriage has existed for the benefit of men and has been a legally sanctioned method of control over women. We must work to destroy it. The end of the institution of marriage is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. Therefore, it's important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live individually with men. That's the Declaration of Feminism from 1971. Linda Gordon said this, The nuclear family must be destroyed. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families now is an objectively revolutionary process. This is what we're in the midst of. Robin Morgan said, we can't destroy the inequities between men and women until we destroy marriage. Helen Sullinger said, we must work to destroy marriage. The end of the institution of marriage is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. 
Therefore, it is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live individually with men. All of history must be rewritten in terms of the oppression of women. This is finding its way into our culture extremely, uh, influencing media, again, academia, and everything else, to a point where men are vilified. And when you vilify men long enough, men will abandon that institution. Men do not want to be vilified. Men do not want to be losers. Men do not want to fail at something. And when you constantly tell them, we don't need you and you're a failure, men will leave the concept of marriage and fatherhood. And it is causing a great problem. And it encourages men to abandon marriage and even their children. And these gender roles have, again, right from the garden, you saw what Satan did, put a wedge between Adam and Eve, put a fight between their roles and their identities. And they became cursed by those roles and different identities. And this is a real problem. And so marriage has been effectively redefined to no longer be a man and a woman. But now its definition is abandoned from that where it can be two of anything can come together, which is no definition of marriage at all. Pretty soon it will be two and three, three or four or five or six. And so this is a real issue. Marriage has successfully, ask your children, marriage has successfully been diminished. Two, their redefining of values. No-fault divorce encourages serial divorces. 62% of Americans view divorce as a morally acceptable way to escape an inconvenient union. We know that God gave divorce in the law because, as he said, uh, Jesus quoted, that it is because of the hardness of hearts. It's because of sin and the hardness of hearts that marriages fail. We understand that. We've identified sin and Satan as a major problem in marriages. God has given a way of escape for those who are abused, those who are, have failed marriages, that they may have a way of survival, and God gave that through divorce. But there are biblical reasons and precepts for it. But divorce for any reason and just for convenience is a problem, but now 62% of the nation says it's fine for any reason at all. That's a problem to the institution of marriage. Again, we've redefined what marriage is, taking out the uh, holy aspect of it as a covenant from God. This culture encourages children to be born out of wedlock as a common practice. According to the UN report, 40% of U.S. babies are now born to unmarried parents. Mary Jo Bain said, in order to raise children with equality, we must take them away from their families and communally raise them. This is what your academic institutions want to do. They want to take out all of the family origin and essentially, especially the religious aspect of family and the Christian foundation to family and reorient your children into communal or social thinking, which is basically, again, the Marxist theory. We have redefined the child in the womb as not human. Children are not human, and now you cannot pinpoint when does a child become human. The argument uh, is, is 
not even based on science, and so people cannot figure it out. Is it when the child has its first breath? But yet now, as you listened and heard, they're pushing laws to have the mother decide if she wants the child after it's born. And so abortion is all the way up to full nine months plus. And so we have got to realize that if you begin to consider that a child is not human, then what does that do? to the dignity of humanity being made in God's image. It's disposable. It's disposable. Abortions are easier without regard to God or conscience, and that's based on Planned Parenthood's uh, feverish op uh, occupation based in eugenics. Margaret Sanger came out of eugenics. Eugenics, if you'll understand the history of it, is the concept of eliminating people groups who are unnecessary to a culture. Hitler was so influenced by American ideology of eugenics that he borrowed the concept against the Jews from the Americans. The classic example is what American society has done to the African-American family in its entire history. If there's been any family that has absolutely been targeted and systematically uh, attacked, it is the African-American family. From slavery, through Jim Crow, through uh, the issues of uh, breaking up the families through arrests and uh, criminal activity, and abortion clinics centering around cities and urban centers targeting young black women. And it's happening, and it is now going to happen on a major uh, effort uh, and wider case unless Christians speak up. Margaret Sanger said this, The most merciful thing a large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it. That's the head of Planned Parenthood. It promotes unwed single motherhood with state aid. And now it is in fact, encouraged and benefited to be a single unwed mother. What does that do to the family? Let me give you some statistics. 1.2 million children are born in fatherless homes. 1.8 million children are latchkey kids. 36% of kids grow up without a father. 75% of kids on drugs come from a single-parent home. 63% of youth suicides come from single-parent homes. 70% of teen pregnancies come from single-parent homes. 75% of jailed juveniles come from single-parent homes. You think there's a problem with marriage and the family? Yeah, and our culture endorses this. It endorses it. And so some of you are out there going, oh my gosh, I'm a single parent at home. What's going to happen to my kids? Well, that's what we're here to do is even though you are in a single parent home, there are attributes that God has given to the man and to the wife that maybe one is missing. But if we would learn the biblical precepts of what a family needs, we can replace and aid the family with those things instead of promote the anti-family bias. I hope that makes sense to you. Ultimately, what this has done is redefined sex. Sexual liberation redefines love as simply sex. The sexual revolution of the 60s started this with the device called the pill. Now sex can be simply recreational because you don't have to worry about a child. But even if we've come so far in our advancement that even if there is a child, you can just extinguish that. 
So sex is something recreational, not held for marriage. And so this encourages promiscuity, fornication, and adultery. The CDC says premarital sex after 18. 64% of men say that's fine. 54% of women say it's fine. But that was in 2013, seven years ago. Those numbers have increased outrageously to where sex before marriage is fine. And that's in the church. That's happening in the church. We're trying to fight against sexual perversion. At the same time, we're allowing sexual promiscuity in the church and in our families. Are we teaching our children holy sexuality? Because again, our children are being educated in their schools and in their culture and by the media that all sex of any kind, in any form, any way, any time is fine and healthy. And so where is the people of, where are the people of God? It promotes all forms of sexual deviancy as norms. Pornography is normal theatrical entertainment in our culture. 70% of men aged 18 to 24 visit a porn site at least once a month, let alone the levels of addiction. Women are fast becoming addicted to pornography as well. What we have now moved into is redefining sexual orientation. Now what we see is the LGBTQ has now influenced every industry, every media, every form of entertainment, every academic institution to where it is driving home the concept of unbiblical sexual activity. It has now gone so far as to redefine the meaning of gender. Now, it's no longer a physical understanding you are either male or female. You may choose your gender and leaving it open for children to choose their gender at a young age. All of this is again sin, satanic, and cultural Marxism. It's destroying the family. One thing it is absolutely doing is wreaking havoc on our families. And it is so hard for us to teach our children otherwise unless we are living the biblical way and instructing them in a biblical way. Your children will be shunned, your children will be rejected, and the force of the public uh, uh, pressure on them is going to be very extreme. But that has never been any different in all of history for true Christianity. We came out of a culture that accepted Christianity where most of the world does not. And so we're at a bit of a loss as a people on how do I conduct myself when people don't like me anymore. And so we try to make our Christianity a little more likable and conforming to culture. We can bend here, we can bend on that, we can bend on this just so that we're a little more likable by our culture, but really, then who is our God? And who is the authority in our life? And so this morning, when you consider what we're all going through, how difficult this is, we have to rally together and we have to fight. We have to fight our culture. And you need to get into this fight, people. 
You need to begin censoring your TV. You need to begin censoring. You go, oh, censorship, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Not at all. Would you censor any poison in your food? Would you censor? You don't have a problem complaining about the PCBs and the troubles. I don't know if that's the right term. In our drinking water, we get all up in arm over the pollution and all over the other issues. What about spiritual pollution? What about moral pollution? We need to fight. Nehemiah told Israel, your walls are broken down. Your gates are wide open. How are you going to build and rebuild the temple to where Christ and God is the center of this nation if our gates are broken down and our walls are broken down? He didn't bring bulldozers. He didn't bring an army to do it. He came and he rallied the people in the walls of Jerusalem and said, we must rebuild. We must fortify. And as you read Nehemiah, you will see that the people who lived right across the street from the gates that were broken down became responsible to rebuild them. You're responsible for your home. The church is not responsible for your children's well-being. We're responsible to instruct them, but you're the family. It is your responsibility to teach them day and night. An hour a week and an hour on Wednesday is not enough. We'll give it our best. We'll give you all the tools we can. We'll speak into your life. We'll challenge you. We'll help you. We'll counsel you. But it's you that must repair your family. And so as, as uh, Nehemiah rallied the people, he said this. He said, don't be afraid of them because as they were trying to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls and the gates, the enemies came against them and wanted them to attack. The enemy, the last thing the enemy wants you to be is guarded. The last thing the enemy wants is you to have a hedge of protection. The last thing the enemy wants is for your God to invade your life to such power that you could resist any enemy. And he said, don't be afraid of them. Our God is with us. We have what is true. He said, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Men, fight for your families. Women, fight for your families. Children, fight for your families. This is a war. There are casualties all around us. And so we must fight. And that's why we are spending this year fighting against the enemy. We are going to fight. We are going to fight. And we're going to help you. And we're going to aid. And we're going to strengthen you to have power over the cultural Marxism, power over these ideologies that are saturating your home, power over the devil, power over sin and sickness and generational curses and what he's trying to steal from you, and power over your own flesh life that abandons the sake of others for the sake of self. We're going to teach you how to break that power. All of it comes from the authority of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen.